0: really, unless light is shining through a colored, tinted glass or lens, we don't tend to think of it as being a colorful thing. Um, If you were to take a beam of light, though, and shine it into a prism, what happens is that light slows down and it's refracted. It means it changes uh, angles, and those two things, this change of speed and the change of angle, the change of direction, dissects this light, this beam of light, and it refracts it, right? It, it, It dissects it, it disperses out into different wavelengths. And what we see, uh, what is revealed in that, is that there's actually several different colors in this beam of colorless light. <laughs> now the Our Father, the prayer that the Lord Jesus gives to us, does something like this. It serves as a prism, so to speak, to refract refracts the light and gives us the ability to see things that we otherwise might have missed. And so this morning we, we gather sitting under the authority of Scripture, and we hold up this prayer to the light of God, hungry for what it might reveal. Particularly this phrase, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now one thing that this section of the Lord's Prayer reveals to us is the truth about us. There are two different occasions in the Gospels where Jesus instructs His people, instructs us to pray that we might not enter into temptation. It's here in the Lord's Prayer... But then it's also there in Gethsemane. Now there, Jesus is haunted by what is ahead of him. Okay, he knows that he is going to be arrested. He knows that he's going to be wrongly accused, abused, both physically and verbally. The cross is before him, and the wrath of God towards sin is upon him. You know, is waiting for him on the other side of this. He knows that, and so he needs prayer. And that's why he's retreating into the, this garden, and he. As he goes though, he brings his disciples with him. He says, you guys need to pray as well. And he goes and prays alone for a while. He comes back and they've fallen asleep. And Jesus' response to them in verse 41 is, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So the events leading up to the cross are going to drastically affect Jesus. He feels the weight of, the, of that of those moments, of these events. He's sweating blood because of them, but He doesn't ask His disciples to pray for Him as He's going to enter into them. He says, pray for yourselves. You guys need to pray. You need to be ready for what is coming. But they don't. They're tired. They fall asleep. And when the the soldiers, the betrayer came for Jesus, uh, His disciples scatter. They leave. Even Peter, the one who had declared a few Moments ago that he is going to be faithful to Christ even to the end. Even if it meant his death, he would not turn away though all others would. Even Peter denies Christ three times. And once when he's approached by a little girl asking her, weren't you you with him? When the temptation arose for Peter to save his own skin, to disassociate himself with Christ... He gave into it. He gave into the weakness of his flesh, and he was overwhelmed and overcome by that temptation. So, scripture affirms to us is that we humans we are a weak bunch. The truth about us is that we are weak and in need. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is the truth about us. Even as baptized new creations, there's a persistent pull from our old sinful nature that fights against the spirit of God. What He's doing inside of us. The Apostle Paul describes this tension. He describes this fight and this weakness in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. He says, The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. He says, These two things are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. That's the way the ESV says it. I think that's a neat way to say it. Essentially what he's saying is that when your heart wants to follow God your flesh rises up fiercely to fight against the work of the Spirit inside of you. And when your heart wants to follow your flesh, the Spirit of God, if you are a baptized believer, is inside you and it fights fiercely to keep you from walking in the way of your flesh. And there's this battle going on. And as, it's, as this battle rages on inside of us, we submit in one direction or the other. We either give in to the willingness of the Spirit or we give in to the weakness of our flesh. So the truth about humanity is that, the truth about you and I, is that we are weak. Our hearts are idle factories. This inner weakness inside of us so often wants to give in to the temptations that we encounter. And therefore, we've got to take this weakness seriously. Jesus knows that we're weak, and He says, you need to pray. Pray. Now, it means that we've got to pray, but it also means we need to be wise, and we need to be honest with ourselves, okay? We need to be honest That we have this weakness. And we need to be honest and admit that we don't simply sin at random. Okay? There are patterns to the ways that we sin. The things that we give ourselves to. The temptations that we give ourselves to. We need to honestly admit that. And then we need wisdom to know how we need to live our life. And how to make decisions so that we don't get trapped in those cycles of patterns that take advantage of our weakness. Now, not everybody has the same weakness. My weaknesses and patterns of sin are unique to me, just as yours weaknesses and patterns of sin are unique to you. Maybe you struggle with lust or with anger or envy or pride, whatever the case may be. As you fall into those temptations and encounter them and struggle with them, there's a pattern that happens. And you and I have got to be aware of that. We've got to identify what those weaknesses are, where we're vulnerable, and the patterns that we tend to walk in when we, we, we submit to those. And then in wisdom, we need to set up boundaries for ourselves. Right? If you struggle with looking at pornography, don't get on the internet late at night by yourself. Okay? That's a boundary you need to set up. But we also need to get in relationships with one another. We need to lean on one another for accountability. But our ultimate hope is not in the boundaries we set or in the accountability we experience. Our ultimate hope is to pray, uh, or our ultimate hope is, is God, to pray what Jesus told us to pray, to pray that we might not enter into temptation, to pray for God to help us, to lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from evil. So the truth about humans, and the truth about you and I, about us, is that we are weak. One f- refracted ray shining from the prism of the Lord's prayer reveals this, we are in need. We are a weak bunch, prone to temptation, in need of the Lord's help. Now, there's a second refracted ray shining from this section of the Lord's prayer that reveals the truth about temptation. Before we jump into that, it needs to be said that there is a a way of reading this phrase that's incorrect. Okay, there's, there's a way to read "lead us not into temptation" that makes God the bad guy. It makes him the author. Of our temptations, but that is incorrect. It's inconsistent with other parts of Scripture. Yes, the Lord tests hearts, we see in Proverbs 17. Uh, but God does not tempt us. God's desire is for our good, not our destruction. James chapter 1, though, it says, as it says that God does not tempt us, it says that uh, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. What James does is he points back to this weakness that we have. He says, we struggle with this, right? Our propensity for giving in to temptation. But there's another reality that's outside of us. There's one, this weakness that we have. But then there's a real uh, sense that, the, that evil pervades the life around us. We experience this. This is a, a real power. And Paul, again, the, the Apostle Paul writes about this. Sin's effect on all of creation. Essentially saying that evil is at work all around us. And that's what we struggle against. So these evil forces in this world. In Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. He says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against the rulers. Against the authorities. Against the cosmic powers. Over this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces in the, of evil in the heavenly places. Now as God's kingdom is trying to work its way into our hearts. And then out of our hearts. And into the areas where our life hits The world around us, we can and should expect a fight, okay? Evil is present, and the forces of evil do not relinquish their territory without a fight. And in being saved, people, what that means is that God's uh, newly won territory is you and I. We become essentially the the battleground where the living God fights these evil powers. Evil is not just in places named Sin City. Evil is in Harrisonburg. It's in, at work in institutions. It's at work in relationships. JMU is infected by it. EMU is infected by it. The legal system, service industry, food industry, education, religion, health, family, marriage, friendships. No sphere is able to escape the pervasiveness of this cancer. Evil is large, cosmic, organized, subtle, pervasive, and real. And as so, ordinary moments can easily turn into opportunities for temptation. And that's the truth about temptation, is that it's inevitable. It's inevitable. Ordinary everyday moments can become moments that we give in to the desires of our flesh... And sin, or they become moments that we give in to the desires of the spirit, and we overcome temptation. Now let's look at David, right in Second Samuel. David was walking on the rooftop of his balcony at a time and place that he should not have been, according to verse one. Right, as a time that kings were supposed to be leading their uh, their armies into battle, but David stayed behind. Now David sees a woman bathing on his rooftop, or not his rooftop, her rooftop. From his rooftop. <laughs> so far though, nothing has happened, right? Yeah. It's a normal afternoon. Walking is an innocent act. So is bathing. But these two innocent acts collide in this moment. And it becomes an opportunity for temptation. And in that moment, David's flesh says, You need her. You want her. You can have her. And so David calls her over. Spotting her was not the sin... His reactions after were giving in to the Spirit. And that's what happens, okay? It was small decisions that David was making to walk in step with his flesh and not with the Spirit. And with enough of these small decisions to walk in step with the flesh, David opens up the door to be overwhelmed and overcome by his temptations. And the same is true for you and I. Okay, there are going to be countless moments that we encounter and we get to choose, do we walk with the Spirit or do we choose the way of the flesh? And when we choose the way of the flesh what we're doing is we're adding momentum to that. So when we reach that line in the ground where definitely when, when you cross it, you have sinned, the momentum is in the flesh at that point. <laughs> we're setting ourselves up for failure. Now, we're looking at David though, not us, right? <laughs> David sleeps with Bathsheba, which is a sin, and he sends her away. This one-time act he thought he might get away with, however, he is, is not going to be able to be hidden. She's pregnant and she's married. He's got a big problem on his hand. And so he concocts this elaborate scheme to get Uriah to come home and to sleep with his wife so that he can get her pregnant (laughs) and everything be okay. But Uriah turns out to be a man of greater integrity than the king. And he doesn't. He doesn't go home. Even when David gets him drunk, he still doesn't do it. (laughs) And so David sends him back to battle with an order in his hands that he can't look at. And so he hands it to his commanding officer, and this time David's plan is a success. Uriah is killed. Now think about the many moments along the way that David was presented with a choice. Do I walk with the Spirit? Do I walk in the way of the Spirit during this, or do I choose the way of the flesh? Now not every decision, not every choice was between an obviously evil act and an obviously good act. But the path that this story plays itself out on was paved with countless decisions to submit to the Spirit or to the flesh. Now Jesus is aware of this reality, that temptation is inevitable whenever He gives us the Our Father. He's aware of that. He doesn't tell us to lock ourselves up, to, to not be around other people because of the temptation that could you know, result in those moments. He doesn't tell us to hide ourselves away and not make decisions about engaging with the world. No, He wants us to live life. He wants us to engage with people and with culture. But as we do, He tells us to pray. (laughs) Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So because of the weakness of ourselves, our flesh, and the evil powers and principalities at work in the world around us, temptation is inevitable. But again, the prism of the Lord's Prayer reveals good news. Temptation does not have to end in our shame. Amen. It is here that this little phrase, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, reveals the truth about God. And Jesus tells us to cry out to God as the one who delivers us. This is a prayer not of empty hope, right? It's, it's a concrete reality. God is our help. The truth about God is He is victorious over evil. And this has vast implications. One thing it means is that we don't have to suffer the same fate as David did in this moment. We don't, moments of temptation do not have to result in our defeat and in our shame. God can deliver us from them. Again, we're going to listen to Paul. First Corinthians chapter 10. He begins by reminding us of our weakness. In verse 12 he says, he says Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. Again, King David. He thought he was okay. He was a man after God's heart, no less, right? <laughs> Things are going well in the kingdom. He says, you know what, Joab, you guys can take this one. I'm going to stay back. But what happens? He's standing on, on the roof, his rooftop, his balcony, when the moment of temptation occurs. And he falls hard. He commits adultery who knows how many lies he has to tell to make his scheme work. And he commits murder. We are weak, but our hearts and our flesh, they will work hard to convince us otherwise. We're easily persuaded into thinking that we've got this thing under control. <laughs> there have been many times in my life that, that I've, I've encountered temptation and I thought, "Why, oh, I've got this. You've got this, Luke. I've told myself that. You've got this. Only to fall flat on my face, succumb to the temptation, and and cause a lot of harm to others. I mean, David's story plays out in our lives in so many different ways. Maybe not to that degree. But anytime we succumb to temptation, we fall, we we, we crash, we burn. And it usually takes on others in, in the wake. Do not be deceived. You are weak. Now Paul says this, he points to our weakness and then he tries to encourage us. It says in verse 13 that no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. Now he says this to comfort us, not to belittle our pain or to try and shame us for falling into into our temptations. The temptations that you and I struggle with are as old as Adam and Eve. You know, many, many people throughout the centuries have fallen to these types of temptations. We're not alone in this. But there have also been many, many people throughout the centuries who have faced these kinds of temptations and trials and even worse than the ones that we experience and they've persevered. And this is something that should give us hope. Right? The prayer that Jesus gives to us works. Right? It's not some empty hope. It is a working prayer. It really does work. But our, our experiences are unique, right? Though our sins are, my sins are not new, the way that they... ...represent themselves in my life, right? That shapes out in unique ways, right? It makes them uniquely mine. Pride is a universal sin, right? Everybody in here, to some degree or another, struggles with pride. But my personal pride works itself out in a unique way, right? It takes on patterns and subtleties that make it uniquely mine. But even here, in this uniqueness of our temptations... It's right here that Christ gives us this prayer. It says, though this sin is not something new, and though it is particular to you at the same time... Pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It works in those moments. God can deliver us from our unique struggles and from our unique temptations. The Apostle Paul continues with this encouragement, and he points to God. He says, God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability... But with the temptation will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God wants you and I to stand on the other side of temptations. Stand on the other side of these moments of temptation. But we will never stand if we are relying on our own strength. We've got to cry out to Him. We've got to cry out to the one who's provided the way of escape. To see that our way of escape is in submission to His Spirit and not to our flesh. Now, Paul then wraps up this piece of his letter by commanding us to abandon the idols that we so often trust in when we experience these moments of temptation. And he tells us to embrace the Eucharist. Because embracing the Eucharist, we embrace Christ and we embrace God. We rely on Him. He says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee from these things, these moments of temptation. I speak to you as sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing... That we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? No, nothing less than God can save us. Yes, eternally, you know, our our souls and our bodies. But even in moments of temptation, nothing can save us except for God. And we've got to cry out to Him. And in the Eucharist, who are we running to? We are running to and encountering and experiencing the Christ, the living Son of God. It takes Eucharistic dependence to not enter into temptation. Apart from relying on the Lord, we will fail. But God has provided a way out. He is our deliverer. And in a few minutes, we're going to approach this table. Welcomed, but we will approach as weak and needy people. Our hands will be cupped. A posture that illustrates our neediness. A posture that demonstrates and displays that we are on the receiving end of this relationship. But we will come, those who have been baptized and walking with Christ, we will come as beloved children of God, whom God delights in saving. Now because God is victorious over evil, He can and will deliver us, right? That's... One of the beautiful things about this. But what does God's victory and power over evil mean for us when we fail to cry out like Jesus commands? When we enter into that temptation, what does the power and the victory of God mean for us when we cave into our temptations? Now, we've talked about our weakness and about evil pervading. Ultimately, the devil is responsible for all of that. He may not be specifically challenging and tempting me or you in a particular way or area, but his work is extensive, and in substantial ways, it affects us deeply. And we don't have to look very far. We can look at our own lives and see the ways that we've fallen into temptation to think, man, the devil is good at his job, (laughs) And Jesus, in John chapter 10, talks about the devil's motivation for all this. I said earlier that God's desire is not for our destruction, but Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil's motive behind all of this is your destruction. Every moment of temptation that you experience, (coughs) his desire is for you to be destroyed. He longs for you and I to, to do as David did, to make the small decisions along the way to walk in step with the flesh rather than the Spirit. And in doing so, we open up the gates rather than the kingdom of God, like we were saying earlier. We open up the gates um, for evil to have a better entrance into our thoughts, our actions, and our desires. The devil wants us to be in one of the two camps that Aubrey talked about last week. He wants us to either be the place where we belittle. We don't take sin seriously enough. We think, ah, it's no big deal. He wants us to be either there or he wants us to be in the other camp that thought sin was such a big deal that even God couldn't atone for it. But both of those places are lies. and, And both of those places will end in destruction. But God's victory and power over evil means that the enemy has been defeated. It means that all his works are worse than futile. They are self defeating. For when we struggle against temptations, when we experience the moment of temptation, and instead of giving into the weakness of our flesh, when we give into the Spirit, when we lean into the willingness of the Spirit, we grow strong in virtue. We gain divine life through experiencing God in that moment. We grow, it's a good thing. We experience the Lord. But even if we succumb to this temptation, if we, we succumb, succumb to the, the promise, the empty promise that, that Satan is giving to us in this, in this offer of temptation. If we return to the Lord with repentance and faith, we grow stronger still. As long as we remain united to Christ, we need fear nothing from our trials and from our temptations, for they can only work for our benefit. Why? Because God is victorious. He is the deliverer. That's the truth about God. His victory, He is victory over evil. It has been defeated. So the prism of the Lord's Prayer reveals a truth about us, it reveals a truth about temptation, it reveals a truth about God. And as you go about your life this week, see the reality of your weakness. The Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You are weak. And choose the way of the Spirit. As you encounter moments of temptation this week, pray for God to deliver you. And when you enter into those temptations, repent. Return to the Lord in faith. And experience His grace to renew and strengthen you.